Hi, hello and welcome. This is the Zonecast where we interview emerging Canadian professionals, entrepreneurs and academics. And today we have with us on the show uh, Daniel Cube. He is the CEO of uh, Service Path. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks. And, uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Perfect. So I want to start by learning about your background. Can you tell us about your professional and personal background? Uh, sure. I've, I've actually had a mixed bag. Um, my, my career started off, I grew up out in the West Coast um, in Vancouver. I went to UBC. Um, while I was in UBC, I actually used to be a suicide counselor of all things and uh, graduated from there in the 90s and that was during the NAFTA recession, moved to Montreal and ultimately uh, ended up working in social services, running a large homeless shelter in Toronto of all places um, and came to the realization this even was very rewarding work. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Went back and did a post-grad in Asian business and that ultimately launched me into working for tech companies, doing tech transfers and knowledge transfers and acquisitions all over the globe. Ultimately, launching me into the U.S. market, um, helping a whole bunch of enterprise software as a service companies uh, develop and build. Uh, so since then, I've been a serial entrepreneur, um, exited with four companies along the way, um, helping them build. Uh, and our focus has been pretty much exclusively global B2B enterprise software, uh, starting off in the on-prem world and over the past 15 years transitioning to pretty much full-time software as a service. Perfect. Um, and can you tell us about uh, Service Path and how the uh, idea came about? So, yeah, so I joined the company about three and a half years ago as CEO, and the two founders, Mike Molson and Ian Cross, uh, had approached me. And basically, the company was very engineering led, and we had some great customers. Mike and Ian both came from the managed service space uh, and were heavy duty technologists. And they had the epiphany when they started the company that, you know, organizations, there were a couple of key characteristics that they saw. Tech companies had high rates of change. So meaning pricing was changing, new product paradigms were constantly emerging, customers were having all sorts of different needs and challenges. The issue was as you try to price and quote these things, leveraging legacy technologies or old spreadsheets, it was very hard to pull out an accurate quote. Um, so there were a whole bunch of different dimensions that were important to solve for. So there were risk on a couple of key levels. One, there's pricing risk. When you're quoting something that has a whole bunch of moving parts, how do you make sure that's accurate? Um, second, second uh, there was technical risk. When you quote a really complex solution, how do you make sure you have everything there that's needed and will the solution actually work? So the result was it took a really long time to build these really complex quotes out. And even then, in a lot of cases, you would get it wrong. So uh, and then there, if you layer on that sort of over a period of time, the challenge was they're using these legacy systems that were hard to change to build quotes or they're reverting to spreadsheets. Spreadsheets get out of version. Someone's using the wrong version spreadsheet. Quotes get wrong. You send out a quote, you could actually lose tons of money. And in certain cases, organizations have lost millions of dollars in deals that were misquoted or technically did not work, so you can actually destroy your reputation. So Mike and Ian saw this, which was amazing, and they said there's got to be a better way. So the, the space by that time had emerged, so CPQ stands for Configure Price Quote, um, but CPQ started off in much simpler industries because you, know, you have so many widgets, you want a red one, you want a blue one, so the level of complexity wasn't necessarily there. We started off solving really hard problems, which is interesting. So if you look at how we've evolved as a company, we started off with great logos like Dell, Atos, very large organizations because they understood that this complexity no one else was really addressing in the marketplace. 
So since then, we've expanded where I think we have customers now on four continents. We have staff on three continents. And we solve for what we call the red space. So analysts ask me, what does red space mean to service path? And red space to us is when there's blood on the floor from a poor implementation of CPQ, where they've had really bad governance or deal modeling as a result of you know bad decisions in technology infrastructure. So that's where we've really uh, begun to focus and uh, most of our calories resulting trying to solve those challenges for better governance and the ability to get a quote out fast. So when you talk about the order of magnitude, that's probably the next question you want to ask is, how long did, did these quotes take historically? We had organizations who took up to three months to build one quote. In those organizations, we managed to get that quote time down to 15 minutes with better governance, both financially and technically. And the reason why that's not so important is in a lot, there's a lot of data out there that suggests the first quote on an opportunity that a customer receives is a quote that's going to win. And it's not necessarily because it was the best price or the right price at the the first time. It means that salesperson is getting in front of that customer before someone else and getting feedback from that customer so they can adjust. So another important part when you're actually building a CPQ solution is not only the ability to get the first quote out, but the ability to modify and change that quote quickly. So that sort of builds on the sort of second tenant that we absolutely believe in, and it's the ease of use. So we take this concept that we call codeless. Codeless to us means you shouldn't have to do command line programming behind the scenes to modify the solution or the software because you lose the business agility. You should be able to empower the business side of the organization to make those changes, to add new products to a catalog without having to line up for developer resources. So a lot of our competitors or a lot of the behemoths in the space, you have to do some really hard changing on the back end to do to update the systems. So that can just become a self-perpetuating cycle or a downward death spiral in a lot of cases because it just becomes too hard to change the system. And then people revert back to what they knew before, the spreadsheets. Um, the good news is that creates a lot of market opportunity for us later on. But, you know, it'd be nice to win some or uh, find some of these uh, deals earlier. But at the same time, that's how we built our business, solving hard challenges, finding organizations that have failed in the past um, and said, OK, you know, prove it to us that you can do this. And that's sort of how we have built our business globally. So just to understand your solution, um, you're helping your clients um, produce quotes to to the, let's say, potential work orders that they receive from their customers. For example, if their customers wants to get a job done and they're asking how much would it cost, your solution will produce a quote and it's an automated solution. Yes. It's like a, a SaaS solution which will, uh, which will basically, based on the information that it receives, will tell uh, the clients of your clients that this is what it will cost for your clients to do the job. Correct. So it's so configure is basically the first step in CPQ. So configure means, okay, I want to build this cloud environment or a private cloud environment, or I want to provision a, a new branch of a bank. So I need this many ATMs, I need this many cash machines. But when you build, for example, you put a cash machine and there's infrastructure. So, okay, we need this many power cords, we need this much space. We build those models and configuration. In our case, it's normally more tech. So how many racks would you require to put all those blades in or servers? And how much power would you need? How much cooling would be generated or derived? Those calculations begin to get very complex quickly. So we automate it. 
And at the same time, we put governance around it so people cannot easily change them unless they have the approval or are validated as a technical resource who can make a change to a technical configuration. Or on the pricing side, we can say, you know, you have discount levels up to X. If you want to go beyond that, it has to go into a, a queue for approval to the vice president of finance or to the CEO, for example, on a very large discounted deal. Mm-hmm. So it's and so it's basically the configure and then the pricing is saying, okay, now we have all this these products based on where these products are, where they're going to be delivered, and based on you might be a really loyal customer to us. So you might have a, a certain discount that you get of our products. We apply the product to the discount and we configure a price, right? So then that price pulls together the last part of the dimension for what we saw for is called quote. So it gives a quote that you can give to a customer that gives the technical breakdown of what they're getting, like the actual products or the bill of materials, the pricing and all the terms and conditions related to that. Um, A big differentiator that we have built into our product that uh, no one else really does is we have this thing called cost of serve. So when we're doing that configuration of the actual product, we built in the actual costs of each individual item. So for example, you might have a server and a, a desktop printer. We'll know actually what your base costs are and you say, okay, well, I'm going to create this solution. I'm going to have a printer with this computer with five hours of support from a professional services person who's available online and combine that. So we'll understand the cost of that person, those different products, and the customer will say, well, I want that in a subscription. We'll be able to quickly model that because we have all the cost elements. So we can tell a salesperson saying, if you want to turn this into a subscription, the payback on this deal is, you know, for example, six weeks. And therefore, you know, you shouldn't go below this price threshold and, you know, you'll get payback. So you need to get a commitment from them for at least six weeks on this deal or two years and they'll tell how much profitability over the life cycle of that deal that you'll get. The beauty of that is it speeds up the process. So you don't have to go to finance to do that investigation, to do the assessment on how profitable is this deal. Does it make sense for us financially? Because in that situation, you have upfront costs. So software as a service is a subscription you pay monthly, right? But a lot of these investments that our customers make, they have a lot of upfront. They have to build a data center, for example. They'll have to provision it with people. And all those upfront costs, you have to figure out when will we get payback. Our competitors have to go back to finance to line up to understand, okay, how does that cost? You know, when can we get that deal to get approval? We do it instantly when we're actually generating the quote for our customers. So their sales teams automatically understand, yes, this is a good deal. The hurdle rate is X. We're profitable by year X. And it makes a lot of sense. And we already have our, our different rates that are important to us approved by our finance team. Mm-hmm. So this quote that this uh, that is produced by the solution, I'm guessing when it is given to potential stakeholders, it's not necessarily uh, legally binding. Uh, or does it become binding after it's been issued? So, um, great question. So there, our system is very configurable. So you can actually say we are going to generate this quote and there's going to be a signature line for execution. You can integrate it with your e-signature platform and you can close that deal on the spot. Wow. Right. So basically they can say, okay, we agree. But in certain situations, to your point, the customer wants, it's a kind of a voice. The customer saying, can you give me some indicative pricing so I can understand what that might look at? Like, so I can, you know, get my management team to buy in. So you could say, if I'm generating an indicative quote, there is no signature line. At the same time, it gives you the flexibility as a vendor to still sort of think about it a bit more before you put your final quote together. 
or you know approve a discount, but it, it, it facilitates the discussion to begin to get feedback from your customer, which is a really important step because the faster you can get feedback from a customer, the more responsive you can be to their needs. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, it is produced as like a rough estimate? Uh, it can be. So a rough order of magnitude quote, so some of our customers call that, or some of them are just, I, I just want to quote now, I've been working with you for 20 years, just give me a quote, give me something to execute so we can get this deal going and ship the product. Mm-hmm. And I guess the be- the benefit for your customers to use this solution is, is as you said, uh, being the first to provide a quote gives them a huge advantage. Uh, even if it's not necessarily the best price, um, it still gives them a huge advantage to their customers because they're very responsive. They're putting their information for, uh, very quickly in front of their customers and then the conversation can start as soon as the quote is given. So, right. so rather, if it, as you said, if it, if it was done manually, it could take three months. But with this... Uh, with this uh, solution, it can go down to 15 minutes. Yeah, and, and the and the iterations are like literally minutes as opposed to waiting for approvals. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we talk about is because we have these, these governance lanes or approvals, for example, financial approval, technical approval, we call, we, we, we believe in this concept of what we call um, good revenue because you've already put the guardrails in place so your deal will not fall off the line. Like no one's doing rogue quoting or discounting below their thresholds that they're capable of. So the sales team and the finance team and the executive of the organization can have a high degree of confidence that the quotes that that organization is delivering are not gonna put them underwater. If an organization decides to do a crazy discount, they still have the ability to do that, but it has to go through the appropriate approvals and in certain situations, it might make sense because you want to win a beachhead customer in a certain vertical or industry. However, our system normally would say, oh, you know, you're trying to do a 95% discount. You need to go to the CEO or the CFO for approval, or you're going to change this configuration of the technical product to re- remove some products from it. Okay, you have to go to our chief architect and make sure the system will still work. Um, and that's really important because not only is financial revenue really important now, but to, in today's day of you know net promoter score, your reputation with your customer is essential. So you need, if you're going to sell them something, you need to make sure it's going to work and they're going to have everything that they ordered and it's been configured properly. Properly. Mm-hmm. So um, do you have to build like a custom solution from scratch for each client that you acquire? Or, or uh, do you have like a standard product which with some customization is able to work with different customers? Yeah, so we, we have these things called templates. So for example, we have templates in our product. We have a lot of customers who are large software companies or large managed service providers or large systems integrators. And so we have these templates that are kind of rough estimates of you know how they might work. And then the, the customer can come in and modify those. But the, the beauty of our product is we call it codeless. It's literally drag and drop, point and click for them to configure a new product type and to bring it into a portfolio that a salesperson can then sell. with, And also with a guided selling. So for example, the ability for you to say, oh, what would you like to sell this customer? Click a button, oh, I want to sell some hardware or storage. Okay, how many? How much storage would you like? Where, where would you like that storage delivered? In today's day and age of the cloud, you might say, okay, well, all our centers are in London. So it makes sense if you're going to do cloud storage, you want it to be in a region near that area. So select 
so you don't have long latency or you know waiting too long to deliver information from North America to Europe, for example. So all these sort of configuration rules can be absolutely built by the product manager or the sales architect or whoever's configuring your products in the system without doing any coding. That's that's um, pretty interesting. And um, what kind of companies are you competing with? So. The CPQ space is a well-established space. It's been around for 15 to 20 years. Um, and so we play in two worlds. We play in CPQ, which we, we have everything nuts to bolts, and we also play in the quote-to-cash space. Quote-to-cash is where you actually do the quote, the, the first part that we get involved in, but also you do the fulfillment and cash out of that, the transaction, sending the bill, sending the final contract. The way we do that is we partner. We have a great partner called Logisense, and they're a great billing platform. But we also build our product in such a way where we have the ease of integration. So we have a really open ability to integrate with other systems that enable us to be a best-in-breed technology stack. So you don't have to rip and replace your incumbent systems. If you have already a billing system and you're looking for a CPQ, we would come in and integrate, integrate with your incumbent system. However, you know, we have some friends in the family like Logisense. We love their open architecture. They're the same way we are. They're very open. And also they have the same codeless approach where it's very easy to configure and change their systems. Um, and they provide and they enable us to address a much larger market, mm -hmm. which is great. And um, so this the solution that you have, it's a SaaS solution. So there is a monthly subscription yep. or a monthly fee. Uh, do you have like a fixed fee or does it vary? Uh, how how does the, how does it work? Uh, yeah, so our, our we have a subscription. It's basically we have multiple editions of the product. Um, the editions of the product basically have different functionalities and different service levels. Like what kind of support do you need? Seven twenty four? Do you need a technical account manager? And it really depends on the nature of your business. Most of our customers have global operations, so they're actually running pricing um, twenty four hours a day in some market. So basically. Um, they want to have availability of someone to talk to them on a 24-hour period. Um, or it might be some specific features. They might want a partner module so that some different editions would have some of the different functionality that they don't have. Um, we also offer an on-premise solution because some of our customers in certain industries, there are high degrees of privacy requirements by law and things like data domain, so they're not allowed to use the cloud, so we, we can support those organizations, which is also a differentiator. Uh, for us, because not everyone can do both. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty interesting. But I'd say ninety-seven percent of our customers are in the cloud. Um, we use uh, AWS globally in multiple regions across the world, mm -hmm. um, which is great. So your product is not limited to any particular industry. It can be used by different industries. Yes. Yeah. So we have customers in all sorts of different verticals. Um, we have a high, I'd say, degree of penetration in tech. And the reason for that is just having to deal with high rates of change, complexity of solution, and also the fact that a lot of our competitors have a real hard time with it. So it's allowed us to go and win, re-win these deals when they failed, which is great um, because we, we compete with giants. So the organizations we compete or see on a regular basis would be Salesforce, CPQ, um, Aptis, there's a company called Calidus, well, formerly called Calidus, now it's SAP uh, CPQ, because SAP bought them. And then Oracle Big Machines would be the ones we see on a fairly regular basis. And in addition, a lot of times organizations have failed on these platforms and have gone back to spreadsheets. 
So we'll go back and we'll find someone, a large organization pricing on spreadsheets. It's crazy. You'd be amazed how many billion dollar organizations are still using spreadsheets for their pricing and configurations. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is just because the market hasn't given them a solution that it can address their needs. So we love those challenges. Okay. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, how do you acquire clients? What's your customer acquisition and sales strategy? Yeah, so um, we do um, customer acquisition. A lot of our deals come from referrals because uh, our customers love us. We actually do really well on a lot of the social rating sites like G2 and Capterra. Um, in addition, we follow, we work with the analysts globally, uh, Forrester, Gartner, uh, follow us. Um, so we give them briefings. At the same time, we try to ask them, where's the market going? You know, what are features that you believe are needed that no one else has? So we can try to always be ahead of the curve because we are such a technically led organization. One of our key, well, our, our ability to innovate and iterate new product is pretty amazing mm. um, because we have a really new um, data architecture that allows us to build new products very quickly, which is great. And so we don't have a lot of technical debt where our, our, our competitors will have platforms that are 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And how long has your uh, venture been around? The company's been around since about 2012. Um, it was uh, before that, in, that's when the product really started shipping. Okay. So, um, And then you, previously you had like four different ventures. And they were also SaaS uh, businesses, but yes. they were not related to CPQ. CPQ uh, no. they, they were they were different. Correct. Um, so and and all of those businesses were sold or acquired or, or mm -hmm. and which is a very um, uh, interesting goal for many entrepreneurs is this that kind of exit. So. Um, can, can you briefly walk us through those uh, exits and how they happened? Yeah, I mean, it, it It depends when you join a company and what your goals are. Um, so I, when you think about joining a company and exiting or building a company, there's a couple of paths. One of the paths are you bootstrap, where you basically, you build a product, someone likes the product enough to pay you money, and then you just try, try to find as many customers as you can to fund your growth. So service path, we've actually funded ourselves all the way up and it's great because we haven't had to take any external capital, mm. um, which has been amazing. And we, uh, you know, we're really seeing the benefits of that labor. The benefits of bootstrapping all the way up is if you ever go to sell or from a control perspective, the management team still controls the business, makes the decisions. And as long as the team gets along and, you know, you try to be market sensing a lot and see where the market's going, it, it's great because the, the, the control is in the management team's perspective. The other path is where you would take external funding or you come up with an idea and you get equity investment, right? So you basically say, I have this great idea. Are you willing to fund me or give me some money to build this idea? The problem is, as soon, well, it's not a problem. As soon as you give some control or a portion of your business away, those people would like a voice in your business, yeah, right? And in a lot of cases, there are some very strong PE firms and VC firms that have great market understanding and they have the ability to help accelerate businesses. But by the same token, if you disagree with them, that can be problematic. Um, but the beauty of taking funding is if you have something that's at the stage where I would call repeatable or the ability to create the printing press, you can accelerate that adoption of your product because to your question, how do you find customers? If you know you have certain campaigns that generate so many leads, if you add more fuel to those programs, you can generate 10 or 100x 
The problem is if you do that generation and you don't have the, I call the wood behind the arrow to have a sales team and a delivery team that can take on all that capacity, it becomes a train wreck. Mm. So a lot of, you know, early stage funded companies invest very heavily in a lot of people in anticipation of that rapid growth. So if it all goes well, everyone loves it because you have great alignment, you have the infrastructure to support those deals. But the problem is a lot of times you over hire early on and you don't find that category or market fit. And so you spent a lot of money, you don't have the adoption of the market and then there's a lot of stress on the management layer saying, okay, how come we're not finding customers? Your investors begin to ask a lot of questions and it can be difficult. So I've done both. I've funded bootstrapped a couple of times all the way up and I've also done taking a lot of equity, being very diluted out and you know having to deal with you know a bunch of different stakeholders. I think the right answer lies somewhere in between. But you know the great thing is just once you have something continuing to build and getting feedback from your customers is you know a recipe for success because you're not building things in an ivory tower. And that's one thing we are absolutely staunch believers in. All of our customers, we have quarterly meetings with them. We actually understand where their businesses are going. We understand how we can better align our product roadmap, like the new features we're developing them to the challenges that they believe are gonna be coming up in their businesses. In addition, we help them understand how they can get more out of their implementation of our product and platform from a company perspective. Mm. So as long as you do that, if you bootstrap or you take equity, I mean, you're going to do well because your product roadmap are really, you know, coal face driven with real requirements from the real world. And the other ultimate proof point when you're trying to build a business, a lot of people have a lot of great ideas, but a lot of people with a lot of great ideas, there's only very few of them where people say, I'll fund that or I pay for that. That's the next qualifying question that really helps teams know if you're on a successful path. When you start building things that people are actually willing to pay for and will give you money. Um, so if you use those two filters, you know, your chances of success are much higher. Mm -hmm. um, so with regards to your solution, uh, you, you have multiple additions. Uh, you mentioned like you have like a more, more a basic version and I guess a more premium mm -hmm. version. Yeah, so professional enterprise and global. Mm -hmm. So global, like you have organizations in many countries, the need for enhanced support and SLAs. Um, you know, probably different levels, of, probably large user counts, different levels of support requirements, different mm -hmm. features and functionality requirements. Um, so I guess it, it sounds like if, if there is a venture which is still doing the coding process manually uh, without automation, they, 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 they might be at a huge disadvantage because they're, they're slow in responding to to inquiries from their customers and, and they might be losing out on on like potential and huge business opportunities. Yes, I mean, yeah, so partially. Partially. If you have a real simple business and you can get by with a, you know, a really simple spreadsheet, it might be a perfect tool or they might mm -hmm. be able to build you know, some sort of macro. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is as you, the only thing, the only constant is change. Yeah. Right. Especially with tech companies, there's new products being brought into life all the time. And at the same time, if you have a large portfolio, you have a huge portfolio of products that are sunsetting or going away. Right. So you need to understand, OK, what does my customer have of my products? Which of those products am I going to continue to support? So that's another feature that we have. There's this feature in our product called install base. Install base allows you to see what you sold that customer before, how it was configured, what version. Because that customer is going to say, well, I'm getting this as a subscription. Those For the past three years, I've been buying this. 
in a lot of other organizations to find that data is very difficult because it's in billing systems, it might be in your ERP system, it might be in your provisioning system. To have one source of the truth as to what that customer's bought is really important. Not only because you want your customer to be happy, but it's potentially a revenue opportunity. Because if you know you have X product and X product is no longer gonna be supported, a filter or flag should go up to your sales guy saying, hey, you know all our customers with product X, we're sunsetting that. So we should be trying to sell them a new product or potentially we should be trying to sell them a customized support package to make sure they continue to use it and continue to pay us for support. So a lot of times these opportunities are missed unless you have a system that captures what you've sold them before. Um, but going back to the, like the simple situation, in certain markets, you know, a simple tool could work. And there are lots of great CPQs for other industries you know, that we don't really address. But you know, where those high rates of change exist, and there's you know all sorts of you know challenges. We love that. We can absolutely solve for simple CPQ. But by the same token, our competitors you know who sell their CRM, for example, Salesforce has a CRM. They sell CPQ to their products. Well, they it's a low hanging fruit for them. Their sales guys go right into those accounts and say, Hey, would you like some CPQ with your CRM? And sure, and it's a great fit because they don't have a lot of complexity. Mm -hmm. So. So which particular industries uh, do you focus on? Like I know Dell, Dell is uh, one of your clients, so it's it's the computing technology or software space. Um, um, which verticals are you active in? Um, so verticals we're active in, we do a lot in high tech. Um, so that spans from telecommunications, managed service providers, large software, large global systems integrators, we have interesting organizations that are, for example, in the turf space, believe it or not. So turf. we're like actually artificial kind of turf products and things like that. There's a high degree of complexity there. We have organizations, um, yeah, all over the world and or large support organizations. They sell support globally, for example, for different product types. Mm. Um, once again, large products use lots of different variabilities and how those products are configured. And the ability to get those quotes out quickly is a real challenge for them. And, okay. you know, and then so, you know, so we have Atos, DXC, you know, large organizations like that, and Sono, Daisy, um, all over the world. And that's that's where we are sweet. We sort of, that's our bias because that's where we come from. But we're actually getting pulled into all sorts of different opportunity types right now. But we've uh, benefited from our domain knowledge and our ability to replicate what we know and the, the IT and you know, technology vertical. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping us. One of the markets where we're actually uh, starting to see traction is the medical device market. And the reason why there's traction with us in the medical device market is that ability to understand that cost model when you're selling a product. Mm -hmm. So for example, you have like a radiology machine or an MRI, a sales guy saying, okay, we're going to give you that for free and we're going to basically get repaid based on this consumable product. Or how, how do I get, you know, MRI as a service? It's very difficult for our competitors to quickly build that cost model or deal analysis to say, okay, this is how we can do it. Because we auto-generate that because we understand all the computing costs and all the different price variability. We can do that business case immediately so a sales guy can say, oh, yes, this absolutely makes sense with all the approvals in place so you can once again get that quote out before your competition. Okay. So... Yeah, we've got a lot of analysts telling us, you know, that's where we should be. We've started discussions with several companies in that space. So we're excited by it because it seems like a great fit. They're big ticket items and there's a lot of uh, configuration to them as well, which is great for us. And uh, are you planning to uh, 
sell this business or do you plan to keep it and grow it? No, our goal is to grow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's exciting. Um, you know, we're just trying to figure out how do we further enhance this? How do we continue to make our, our product more viable, more integratable, and also begin to understand where is the market going? We're seeing, um, you know, with Azure and AWS, the ability to pull in those price feeds dynamically and auto-configure solutions together is really interesting, and we are already working on that with several of our customers. Um, in addition, what other products could we integrate with from a best-of-breed approach? So from a partnering strategy, we're really looking at those areas. Um, and being as open uh, as possible, because if you have a really open architecture, it makes it really easy for people to pull you into their systems and also integrate with their legacy systems. The other key thing about it, so there's two sort of approaches. There's a best-of-breed sort of approach and a vertical stack approach. The beauty of a best-in-breed approach is it really makes you future-proof because, for example, say someone decides to change their CRM from you know, Dynamics to Salesforce, that shouldn't disrupt your ability to use your CPQ, but with a lot of our competitors, it absolutely would because they're dependent on a certain stack. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're saying, we don't care what your periphery or systems are because we'll be able to integrate with them no matter what. And in the future and in the past, whatever way you want to go. So That's, um, that's interesting. Uh, well, Daniel, it has been very nice uh, speaking with you and learning about your uh, interesting uh, business. It's a it's a very new space, CPQ, that I was not uh, familiar with, so it was an insightful uh, interview. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks. Uh, you want to share your uh, website? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we're uh, www.servicepath.co. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Listeners, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. And if you want to learn more about Service Path, you can visit the website. And thank you so much for listening to Zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes.